Welcome to Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. I'm Justin Cochola alongside Tim Hurth. Today is Halloween, October 31st. What a great day to be alive. We've also got our Week 10 preview, a couple of big games in the ACC, a huge, uh, well, I don't know if it's huge, but a big game for Virginia Tech against Notre Dame on the road, a place in which they've never lost, by the way. And, uh, you know, a few other things to talk about that we're going to hit on to get started. But first off, Tim, what's going on? I tell you what's not going on. I am not watching Game 7 of the World Series. I am boycotting that uh, because I refuse to watch the Nationals have any modicum of success in the postseason. Them winning one postseason series was enough. Two is overkill. At this point, if they win a World Series, I'll be sick. Uh, As a Braves fan, I can't stomach that. So... I am watching the Eastern Conference Finals in the MLS, and let me tell you, it's an exciting game. Well, I had no idea uh, the MLS had an Eastern Conference Finals or that the MLS was even playing right now. That's uh, That's how engaged I am with soccer. But I will tell you, Tim, I am watching Game 7 of the World Series because it's baseball, and I love baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. Tim, are you a baseball fan? Oh, I'm a huge baseball fan, Justin. Of course, and you know that. Yes, of course. But like you, I do uh I do despise the Washington Nationals mostly because you know, they they came into the beltway and they stole a bunch of our fans that wanted to see a better baseball product. You know, how dare they? And uh they've never jumped jumped back over to the charm city and so the Baltimore Orioles continue to rot. And uh here are the Nationals in the World Series threatening the Houston Astros in the top of the fourth inning. But I'll tell you, Zach Grinke, he's, uh, he's been looking good. Uh, I like uh, I like the Astros' chances, but I got to tell you, I've never seen a uh, World Series or any kind of NBA Finals or whatever. I don't, honestly, like I don't have the stat in front of me. I don't think it's ever, we've ever seen uh, zero home wins by either team. So That's probably accurate. It's uh, it's a pretty crazy series. So we'll see what happens tonight. We'll see if Houston can end that, get their second World Series in two years. And it's Scherzer on the mound, right, for Washington? Scherzer and Grinky, so it's a good one. Yeah, that guy got lucky. He got blessed, you know, as a child to have those two different colored eyes. I'm jealous. Yeah. I'm yeah, jealous. for sure. All right, you get a choice of two colored eyes. What are you going with? Uh, black and orange. God, black and orange is a good – that's very seasonal, too. Yeah, it is. I'd like a, like a purple – in a teal okay. color dyes, mm, you know, a little grape Jordans kind of colorway look to it. I think it would look cool, man. Yeah. I think black and orange would just look really odd and you yeah. probably get a lot of comments all the time. And, uh, yeah, I don't know why I said that it just came to mind as I yeah. was looking at the Astros orange jerseys, but you know, Tim talking about black and orange Halloween is today it as is. we're listening to this. Uh, it's obviously Halloween Eve as we're recording this. Oop, I apologize for that. I was getting the soundboard ready. <laughs> that sounded like some Jimmy Buffett or something I was expecting. It like, was an thriller. ad on the soundboard because I am not going to pay for a soundboard to use it, you know, two shows out of the year. But uh, they do have clown screams. Okay. So happy Halloween to everyone with a clown scream. Um, you know, are you, are you going to be taking the lady out for the trick-or-treating tomorrow night, or what are you doing? you staying at home and handing out candy? Uh, well, yeah, we figured we'd do a little loop around the block. So it actually snowed here uh, this morning, uh, two <laughs> I inches. I saw that. 
And, uh, you know, it's October 30th and winter has arrived in Chicago. So that's always fantastic. It's actually supposed to snow tomorrow night as well. So we're going to get a white Halloween. Uh, that'll be my first, uh, hopefully my last. Uh, I don't know about any of you, you know, our listeners out there, but I absolutely hate the snow. Uh, it is completely inconvenient. Uh, they don't cancel anything for snow up here. It's, uh, you know, it could snow 10 inches and nothing is delayed. So yeah. they're see, on that, top of their snow the problem. game. That's the problem. So snow is really rad when it cancels your plans and you have to stay inside and watch a movie. Snow is yeah. not rad when you have to go out and scrape your car, get the seats all heated, and get your happy butt on into work. Shovel out your garage that the you know plow blocks you in and then you know your honda accord gets stuck going out of the garage and then you spin out and then you have to dig out the hot you know it's just the process it's a problem so yeah we're gonna be trick-or-treating in that so we're gonna do a little loop around the block it's also uh also the two-year-old's birthday so uh, it's gonna be a big day here in the in the coachella household for little for little abigail so Yeah, it's gonna. What, what's uh, what's Audrey gonna be? Audrey's gonna be Elsa from Frozen, and her dad is going to dress up as Blippi, take her trick or treating. What is Blippi? Blippi's a, you know, I don't know how to describe him. He's a he's a weird New Age Mister Rogers. Oh no, Blippi. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I got the costume down to a T. Have it's her you favorite. heard about? Have you heard about Blippi? D- yes. You know about you no, know, you know about his past. Oh, I know about his dark secrets. Okay. But like here's the thing. So you're okay you know, with that. I mean I, I I'm not okay with it. For you know, anybody I, who doesn't know, Blippy Harlem Shake, I'll let you find out the rest. Be careful googling that one. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> not so. So yeah, work. look, we've all got you know, let let he who is without sin cast the first stone, first and foremost. My sins certainly aren't the same as the ones he's committed in the past, to say the least. But, um, you know, I think he does a fairly good job of not bringing anything remotely like that to the show. Um, and Audrey <laughs> Audrey loves him. And, Let's hope not. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, she loves him. It keeps her entertained. So I figured, you know, what could I do as a dad to enhance her Halloween? And dressing up as Blippy and taking her out trick or treating seemed like uh, a real cool dad move. So uh, I'm that's have what to I'm doing. See, uh, see pictures of that. I've chosen to be a Blippy-free household. Um, <laughs> so. Gotta stay committed. What, once Blippy gets the hooks in the kids, they're never coming out. Yeah. Well, she's still got to figure out how to find it. So I don't. I don't think she's to that point yet. But let's uh, let's go ahead and jump over to to some football, Tim. But before we jump into the games. Uh, big uh, big story broke with uh, name, image, and likeness uh, in the NCAA. So basically, it paves the way for players to be paid for their name, image, or likeness. Now, what we know is the NCAA said that they're going to look into it and write a bunch of rules. What we don't know is what those rules are and really what it means, but... You know, it it doesn't just mean we're possibly going to get NCAA football back, which would be great if we did. The video game, that is, I'm talking about. No doubt. Uh, But it's very, very complicated, and I was thinking about this a little bit. So, you know, we we come into college, or you come into college, you got a scholarship. 
you know, typically that scholarship isn't considered to be, you know, income if you're getting a scholarship to attend college. But now, essentially, colleges may be paying players based off of revenue generated, which would indicate that potentially the college would be paying these players money, which in turn would make them employees of the university, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, Tim, means that they would need to count the scholarship as potential income come tax season. I mean, yeah, logically that makes sense. Although I'd hope that, uh, you know, they could figure out a way to make that not the case. Um, It's just, I I bring it up because I think it's going to be very complicated, much more complicated than, than, um, than what meets the eye. And I think, you know, what we're talking about here is a handful of players too, right? And right. I, I think by the time 2021 20, comes around, we'll see the, you know, one and done rule lifted and kids can go straight to the NBA from um, from high school. At least there's talk of doing that. I think it's around 2021, 2022, whatever. Um, and I wonder, too, like, will there be any stipulation for these guys to, to get money? Guys and gals, I should say, because it can be any sport. Um you know, will they have to graduate? Will they have to have a certain GPA? You know, a lot, a lot of a lot of questions to be answered. So I'll I'll be interested to see how it spins out. Uh, I'll be more interested to see how complicated the NCAA makes it. I think this could be the 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 beginning to the end for the NCAA as far as being able to re- regulate uh, collegiate sports just because I think they might be a little bit in over their heads unless they do some serious uh, consulting with some people and uh, get people in there that know how to write rules and guidelines that are not currently there because, as we know, the NCAA is a uh, kind of an outdated model. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if this is honestly a good thing or a bad thing. I like the idea of it. I, I thought the name, image, and likeness is, uh, has always been the way to go. I'm just not sure how it's going to be executed. Yeah, it's going to be tough. And, and not all of these guys are going to be able to prop it off of their image and likeness. It's it's really going to be, in my mind, the better players that are going to have that opportunity. So if you're the NCAA, how do you bridge that gap and make it equitable for all the students? Um, or do you just have a system in place that is uh, somewhat, in theory, unfair um, in the sense that certain players would get paid and some wouldn't? Um, or, or do you just let that kind of economy, um, you know, balance itself out? You know, I'm not really sure, but like you said, uh, this was a big step in the right direction, but certainly opened Pandora's box as far as how you make all of this work. And if you're the NCAA, you're kind of staring at the hangman's noose a little bit here. Um, so it's really in their, uh, you know, it's, it's hugely their prerogative to go ahead and get this solved in an efficient way um, and get something mapped out that I think people could get behind. Um, because, you know, they're close to running into some really hard times and they're going to be asked a lot of interesting questions and there's going to be a lot of interesting beta testing that's going to happen, I think, in the next five years. But for me, selfishly, as you mentioned, I see this as a door uh, being opened uh, to potentially get a college football video game back, which is super exciting. I know I've seen Kirk Herbstreet on the Twitter kind of clamoring for that and, you know, I am behind him 110%. Um, you know, I, and I don't know what's in the best interest there. If, if EA Sports is going to have to pay every college football player in order to use their number and their likeness, um, you know, that may not be something that they can actually afford to do. So 
Um, you know, in that case, what happens? Maybe it's a scenario where you just license out the school and uh, randomize a roster completely. Uh, Lord knows there are people out there that will go through the work after it's been released to get those names and, and images right. So a lot of questions. As you said, the exciting thing is college football video games may be back, um, you know, but a minefield, uh, as it were, for the NCAA moving forward. Yeah, it's going to be very political. Uh, there's going to be countless stories on it, uh, countless opinions. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm all for it. Uh, I just think it's going to be very complicated. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, we're really talking about top-level talent that's going to see the benefit of this. Yeah. My my question is, you know, if I play water polo, do I even care about this? And most likely I don't unless you come up with some kind of communist model to where every student athlete in the country gets paid the same amount of money, which I don't think is going to happen. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Just uh, It's going to be interesting to watch, uh, but easier said than done. So I think we took a step in the right direction. But at the end of the day, I'm not sure the NCAA is cut out to uh, to handle this based no. off of past experience. So. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Like I said, could be the beginning of the end for the NCAA. If they get this wrong, you know, it's, it's going to cause problems. Um, I don't know what that means. I don't know if, you know, college football privatizes or whatever. I don't even know if that's possible. But, you know, let's, uh, let's just sit back, relax, and see. Uh, let's see where it takes us. I'm with you. All right, so let's jump into the fun stuff. You know, first off, if this is your first time, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. We are glad you're here. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere that you would listen to a podcast. And uh, why don't you go ahead, hit that subscribe button, maybe leave a review. Uh, five stars, preferably. Uh, we want to be your friend. Uh, and to do that, you would need to click that five stars button. Uh, maybe take a screenshot, tell your friends, let them know, tell them to do the same. And then and maybe we'll there's all a, have a great time. Maybe there's a hat in it for you. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? There's there's chowder and grits hats everywhere right now. But Tim, you know, we mentioned on our last episode we wanted to power rank yes. coastal. Because we had a little bit of a disagreement there on, you know, coastal versus Atlantic and, you know, teams that are good, teams that are bad. And I think if you take out the worst team in each division and the best team in each division, you still probably come out saying the Atlantic is a little bit better overall. I just yeah. don't think it's a, a landslide. So let's start with the Coastal first. Do you want to go bottom to top? Yeah, bottom to top works. I think okay. we'll start with the same team at the bottom. So that UVA. Makes it easy. Yes, bingo. <laughs> um, you know, Georgia Tech obviously taking the seventh spot. That's not surprising. Yep. Who'd so you have it for that? Spot. I've got Duke. I got Duke too. So I, we're this is this is as of today. Right. So as we stand today, what I've seen over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, I know Duke has had uh, you know a couple of nice performances this year, but of late they seem to be trending in the wrong direction. So I did. I had Duke in the uh, in the sixth spot. What about number five? I have Pitt. As do I. So Pitt is interesting because Pitt has been better than we expected. Absolutely. And I th- think they're up to five wins. They have five wins, right? And That's they're correct. three and two in conference. Or 
two and two in conference. So two they have four conference games left, and they're still in the thick of it in the coastal. Oh, absolutely. They absolutely could still win the Coastal. They've got a game against Georgia Tech this weekend, so you think they're going to move to 3-2. and two. Then they got UNC at Virginia Tech and BC to close out. So, you know, the UNC and Virginia Tech games, those are, those are big ones. They're on the road at VT, so we'll see what happens. But right now I've got Pitt slotted right behind Miami, who's absolutely. the team that beat them last week. So. Me too. Yeah, I've got a... I've got Miami at four, uh, so we're right where you do as well. I think obviously that Pitt Miami game weighing heavily on these power rankings for us. Um, again, we're seeing Pitt sort of fizzle out at the wrong time. Uh, if we were having this this conversation two weeks uh, prior to this, obviously Pitt is in a different spot in our power rankings. But for right now, that's where we have them. So we're up to number three in the coastal, and for me, that is where I stuck UNC. Okay, I've got UVA right there. Okay, fair enough. And the reason I've got UVA there is they've lost three of four. Uh, Their offense has been pretty bad, bad offensive line play. Got Bryce Perkins, who hasn't been very good as a passer. You know, the defense has still been solid, um, but this team is not playing consistent right now. And, uh, you know, UNC, who I've got in the second spot, they they seem to be trending in the right direction. You know, obviously going into last week, they had lost four or five, but every game they play, they're in. They're a super young football team. They have a very banged up defense, but the fact that they're competing in every single game and, you know, they're not, you know, looking, you know, they're, they're not looking like an inferior opponent ever, really. You know, they're in every single game they play. And I think the issue has been, you know, they play up or down to an opponent, um, but, yeah, I, I, I had UNC at two, and I've got them behind Virginia Tech, and, you know, maybe maybe it's because we're being homers, but right now, Virginia Tech seems to be trending in the right direction. Right. They're coming off a six-overtime win against North Carolina. They beat Miami. That was two out of the last three weeks that they played uh, before last week where they had the bye. So, with Hendon Hooker, Virginia Tech has looked completely different, and... I don't think the you know national media or Vegas is really paying attention to that so much. If you look at it in the point spreads, I think if you look at FPI rankings and the chances for Virginia Tech to win the Coastal remaining throughout the season, it's very low. And I don't know if that's because they played in the Coastal or if that's because you know they had a rough start to the season. But they do have four conference games left, right. and three of them should be pretty challenging. So they've already got two losses in conference. Boston College and Duke. So they've got Wake next week. Then they're at Georgia Tech, Pitt at home, at UVA. So who knows what's going to happen. The more I look at the Coastal, it feels like there's a good chance that three losses is definitely going to be the the winner of the division. Yeah, that seems likely. There's a chance it could be four. Yeah. So... That would be some really ugly football down the stretch. I'm not going to rule anything out right now, but yeah, let's let's see what happens. I mean, we're sitting here; it's October 31st. You know, we we still have a a week of football to be played. We're not going to learn anything about Virginia Tech as far as ACC goes for another week. Um, we're not we're not going to see them play. You know, anybody in the ACC in the Coastal until they play at Georgia Tech. So, you know, to me, they could afford to lose the weight game because that really it's not going to affect them come tiebreaker. 
if they beat Georgia Tech, beat Pitt, beat UVA, they're probably going to go to the ACC championship is my guess. So yeah. we'll see what happens. That's going to be tough to do, but you know, I don't know. What about what about ACC overall for you? So ACC overall for me, obviously, if we're starting at the bottom, I think that's fairly easy to say Georgia Tech's going to take that 14th spot. Yeah, I got um, Georgia Tech and Syracuse. And yeah, we're gonna. I was gonna say we're gonna line up on thirteen at Syracuse, and then maybe even at twelve with Duke. I don't know how far you had them down, but that's where I have Duke. So I've actually got NC State there. Sure, I mean NC State was my eleven. So yep. um, those two are almost interchangeable. Uh, you know, NC State just seems to be such a weird team and so hard to predict um, because that defense has looked amazing at times. It's looked like the worst defense in the ACC at times. So where do you put them? I don't know. Um, you know, a lot of it's banking on the shoulders of Devin Leary and what he's going to be able to do as the starter, because I think he's talented, um, very, very talented. Uh, and, and they finally named him the starter. So where does NC state go? I don't know, but right now for me, they're at 11 for you, they're at 12 Duke at 11 for you. So for me, I have Pitt right up there next to NC state at 10. Yeah. So I've got, uh, Duke at 11, Boston college at 10. Okay. And then I've got Florida state at nine. Okay, so we're we're, so, we're going to separate quite a bit at Florida State. I have Florida State at six in my rankings. Okay, so my thing with Florida State, I've got them that low because I that's just what I think of Willie Taggart as head coach, basically. Sure. Um, talent wise, they should be much higher on this list, but you know, right Agreed. now, I uh, yeah, I just don't don't think very highly of Florida State. Now, if they beat Miami this week, um, I would move them up here, but I've got Florida State, Pitt, Miami. Um, in that what nine, eight, mm-hmm. seven kind of range. Um, and yep. then and after I have that, a similar. I just have Boston College thrown into mine there as well. Um, I think one of the one of the points of of what I'm doing with Florida State there at six is I think they can they they would be favored to and would beat my seven through fourteen, which is why I put them at six. Um, and and I actually have them above UNC, uh, Florida State. So who is your top six then? So I have Clemson on top, Wake Forest at two, Louisville at three, Virginia Tech at four, UVA at five, and Florida State at six. Okay. So I've got Clemson one, Wake two, Virginia Tech three, Louisville four, UNC five, and UVA at six. Yeah, so, so I mean fairly close. I mean, the, the reason – so when I'm looking at this, when I'm looking at my power rankings – when I was talking to you last week about the Coastal being worse than the Atlantic and it not being really that close, um, when I see Clemson, Wake Forest, and Louisville, the top three overall in the ACC are all on the Atlantic side, coupled with the fact that the worst team in the power rankings is on the Coastal side, it's really hard for me to make a case um, for the Coastals being anywhere really near the Atlantic because I think right now, um, and it's weird that we're even talking about this. I think Louisville's a pretty good team, and I think they're getting better. Um, athletically speaking, I was trying to compare Virginia Tech to Louisville, um, making a case in my head to put the Hokies above the Cardinals to get them in that top three. I don't feel like we're there right now. Um, you know, And I think Louisville, you know, especially matching up against a team like Louisville, who has the dynamic weapons and offense, um, would make it very, very difficult for us, especially with our undersized defensive line. So when I'm looking at that, that's kind of what drove me to put Virginia Tech at four and Louisville at three. And, and so to kind of branch off on what I was talking about, when I did these power rankings, I wasn't doing it 
in the sense of, okay, well, I want to make sure my Atlantic teams are higher than my coastal teams. That's kind of organically how it worked out. So I think that made me feel a little bit better in my statement last week of saying that the Atlantic was better than the coastal and it was, it was fairly obvious. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, I almost had Syracuse as the worst team because they're bad. They're, they're the only team that hasn't beaten a power five team this year in the conference. Yeah. They're real bad. So that's pretty terrible. And, uh, Georgia tech has, they beat Miami. Um, they also lost to the Citadel. So, I mean, right. it's, it's just, you know, whatever those, those teams are the bottom two, you know, Louisville, Virginia tech, uh, we're not going to see that game this year. So it's hard to say, I think Virginia tech is better defensively than Louisville is. Um, and offensively with Hendon hooker, I think they might be a little bit more consistent week to week, uh, at least from what we've seen. So I think with sure. Louisville, like, you know, athletically, you know, they they have a, a dynamic guy at quarterback and Mikhail Cunningham who who can make a lot of plays with his legs. You know, uh, Javion Hawkins, I'm a big fan of. Huge fan. Um, but I think just overall, I'd give the slight edge to Virginia Tech. Um, but, you know, we'll see. You know, it's... Uh, easy to sit and talk about it what we've seen in the ACC is there's no telling what's going to happen week to week and not necessarily the better team the most talented team is is winning every week oh no Um, and and that's crazy that's what stuck out to me the most is that on the coastal side of these power rankings one through six are almost completely interchangeable for me yeah um which is wild I mean there is no separation to speak of one through six and like the reason well, Virginia Tech tops mine is totally just trend related none of the other teams have made these huge changes like Virginia Tech has from an offensive standpoint um and the other teams all appear to be stagnating uh one through si- one through six so if you're talking about UVA UNC Miami Pitt and Duke um there's not a lot of changes happening to those teams and and they're not necessarily rising um, if anything, two through six are all kind of falling in my book with the only trending up team being Virginia Tech. And I think that's why they topped out on my power rankings in the Coastal. Yeah, it's just odd because, like, personally, I think Virginia Tech has a better shot of beating Wake this year than they do Pitt. Yeah. Because that Pitt defense is so good up it's, front. It's hard to deal with. And I don't think very highly of Pitt's offense, but I am worried about that defense and what it would do to the Virginia Tech offense. The and Wake I think Forest that, that leads is so bad. It's really bad. And I think that's going to lead nicely into uh, talk about what's going to happen this weekend between Virginia Tech and Notre Dame. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about a team, Virginia Tech, and that trend is pointing up right now. Um, and if, if we go out there and we struggle against Notre Dame and we don't look like we know what we're doing on offense, uh, you know, that, that trend and that momentum is going to be damaged um, you know, I, I think there's a scenario, obviously, where you can go into South Bend, perform really well, not get that win, and it still go a long way for you in, in building that confidence for the season. If we go in there and fight hard, have a great offensive game, or at least still look like we know what we're doing from a consistency standpoint and establishing the run, I'm going to feel really good about the rest of the season, regardless uh, if we walk out with that W or if we get hung an L uh, by the Notre Dame football team. Yeah, and I I hate to be in the boat of, well, I just hope we go in there and perform well. But, you know, at the same time, you know, Virginia Tech, they're a 17-point underdog in this game. So that's pretty substantial. They haven't been that much of an underdog since 2013 against Alabama. Um, What 
maybe isn't working to their favor is that Notre Dame is coming off a pretty embarrassing loss on the road against Michigan. So you would assume that that means they're going to be focused. That doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the case, though. So if we look at a team like Georgia, for example, who missed out on the college football playoff last year and ended up playing in the Sugar Bowl or something, you know, that team didn't look very motivated when they were playing in the game. Not to say that's going to happen to Notre Dame, but I'm just saying at this day and age in college football, if you've got a team that was expected to be in the college football playoff and then all of a sudden you know you're not going to be in the college football playoff, you know, I'm interested to see what, how strong you are mentally, what the coaching staff can do to, to kind of get you back. And, you know, I think, you know, Virginia Tech, uh, like I said, undefeated against Notre Dame all time. Of course, their first game was in 2016 <laughs> um, on the road. And that was a season where I don't know if people forgot Notre Dame was four and eight. So everything. Wow. That we think about Virginia Tech football and Justin I, Fuente I, and what he's done. I did forget Virginia Justin. Tech has never been four and eight. No, you know, not and, and that's Fuente. I'm surprised Brian Kelly has. I mean that for some yeah. reason it but completely Brian escapes Kelly, my mind. At Notre Dame, the amount of talent they had on that team. That team was in the national championship a few years before that. Right. Four and eight. So. Say what you want, you know, Virginia Tech, they got down, you know, 24-7 in that game, had a nice comeback win. You know, I was in the stands, loved it. Uh, it was it was a great environment. Virginia Tech fans, if you're going to this game, by the way, you can certainly make that place loud for Virginia Tech. It's a fairly quiet qu- crowd. So if you're going in there, make sure you bring your voice, scream really loud. Uh, you know, you will be heard because it's it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty lax crowd there, a home crowd for for Notre Dame. But you it's know, they very, played. Um, uh, it's a very pro football crowd, um, in a sense, where it's it's not got that yeah. constant din like other college football stadiums do. Uh, it gets really it doesn't quiet feel and it gets like cold. a college. It doesn't feel like a college crowd. Let's put no. it that way. Um, but you know, they played last year in Blacksburg, obviously. Hokies were ranked 24th going into that game, which I had forgotten about. Irish was Irish were ranked 6th. Primetime game, you know, Virginia Tech was down one at halftime, and then they got outscored 28-7 in the second half. So, you know, I think this is a completely different Virginia Tech team than what we saw at that point last year. Sure. And, you know, Fuente, I got this question earlier in the week, you know, from uh, – from my buddy Aaron, he asked, what is Fuente's record coming off a bye? And he's 2-2 two and two at Virginia Tech. And the last two games off a bye, last year's Georgia Tech game, this year's Duke game, absolutely blown out of the water. Woof. However, I would say the direction of the program and the offense and the fight in the team is completely different from either of those two scenario those two games so it feels like virginia tech's moving in the right direction you know it feels like the team's turned a corner Hendon hooker is going to play sounds like he's a go you know you got notre dame coming off a game in which they gave up 300 yards on the ground they only rushed for 47 and michigan happens to be one of the least efficient rushing offenses in the fbs yeah so we talked about with uh, michael brewer you know that Notre Dame has a strong front seven, but it's a front seven that has struggled throughout the season. 
They've had some good performances. They've had a good stretch here and there, but you know they gave up a bunch of rushing yards to New Mexico. They gave up 300 yards to Michigan. You know, so there there is offense to be had against this defense. You know, I think with with Notre Dame, you know what what they're going to look to do offensively is protect Ian Book, and Ian Book, he's kind of had an odd season. So he's got 15 touchdown passes this year, two interceptions. But 10 of those touchdowns have come against Bowling Green in New Mexico. So really what we've seen overall from Ian Book against Power 5 opponents is somewhat of a regression from last year. Right. He's throwing under 60%. You know, he's he he's getting rushed quite a bit. He really struggles when he's being pressured this season, he was only 8 for 25 for 73 yards against Michigan. And according to the Athletics' Pete Sampson, I thought this was an interesting stat here, four of his five worst games in terms of passer rating have come this season. So, for whatever reason, he hasn't taken that step forward this year. So I I look at this football game and I see Virginia Tech moving in a positive direction. They've proven that they can play and score points against a top-level defense because that's what what Miami has. But they're also very opportunistic in that game. They scored a bunch of points off of turnovers. You know, then they had the game against Rhode Island and they had the the crazy game against North Carolina against the banged-up defense. What I want to see out of Virginia Tech and what they need to figure out is what are they going to do better than Notre yeah. Dame that's going to help them win? Because if we think back to Beamer Ball, the Beamer Ball era, Frank Beamer played his best players on special teams. Why did he do that? He did that because he felt like that gave Virginia Tech a better chance to win against opponents like Miami, against opponents like a Notre Dame, even though they weren't playing Notre Dame back then, against Florida State, because right. they don't have the talent across the entire field that everybody else has. So they put their best talent on special teams, and they felt like if they won special teams, that could give them a chance to win. I don't know if Virginia Tech this season has that, but whatever they've been doing in practice – I hope they've been focusing on that one element of the game that they think they can catch Notre Dame off guard with and execute on it. Because even though they're a 17-point underdog, Tim, I think there is a chance that they could go in there and pull the upset. I'm not going to you know, put lots of money on it or anything. I'm not going to be upset if they go in there and lose. I will be upset if they go in there and get you know dominated. But I think Virginia Tech will go in there and compete. I want to see them play all four quarters. I want to see them take care of the football. And I think, you know, defensively, the Notre Dame offensive line has been pretty up and down. They haven't been able to rush the ball consistently. Tony Jones Jr. is coming into the game after leaving the last game injured, so he might be a little bit banged up. Ian Book clearly isn't what Ian Book has been. It sounds like Caleb Farley's going to be back. It sounds like we're going to be getting Deshaun Crawford back up front. 
So the Virginia Tech really used that bye week to get healthy. I think there's a good chance that that they come in here and win, but I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good chance. Like you said, I think that's a really good point, which you bring up with Beamer and the special teams. And, you know, he was kind of a trendsetter in the play, your your best players on special teams thing. Um, and, you know, this harkens back to our discussions that we were having preseason at the end of last season, which was, you know, we were a team in search of an identity. And more so than just having success on the football field, we kind of needed to establish that identity first in order to have that success that we were craving. Um I think we're starting to get a glimpse into what that identity might be. We saw it with Gerard Evans, um, the ability to move the, the football on the ground with your quarterback, keep the, keep the defense off balance, um, you know, going in there and saying, no matter what the defense does, we're going to get our yards on the ground. We kind of lost that identity, if you will, uh, as soon as Gerard left. It seems like we're getting a foothold back again with Hendon. Certainly look like we had it with QP. And it would be nice to have that that established as our identity moving forward. So what I'm hoping to see is I hope we go in there. Given how Notre Dame has performed defending the run, I hope we go in there and we establish the running game. Let's establish some offensive drives that are longer than three plays. Let's go in there and keep our defense off the field. Now, as you mentioned, this is going to be an uphill battle against a team with the talent of Notre Dame. And given that the Hokies right now are not the most talented team in the world, but it would be really, really encouraging to see us go in there and take control, control some dives, control some time of possession. If you can do that, you're going to be in the game. And win or lose, I'll be encouraged if I see it. However, what I'm worried about is what if, what if these last few games have been fool's gold for us and we had a spark um, but it really was saying more about the opponents than it was this team. You know, I, I don't think that's the case, but I certainly hope we don't see a regression to the Hokies offense pre Hendon Hooker that was going three and out on a way too frequent basis, leaving the defense on the field to basically die in the high noon sun. So uh, th- there's a couple of ways this this game could go, obviously from a win-loss standpoint, but I think more than anything, seeing how the teams play and how the team goes out there and tries to establish its newfound identity is going to be the most important thing for me. So picking a winner and loser here uh, isn't that difficult for me. I think Notre Dame is going to win this game. Um, but but I really hope that I get to see more of that hokey football team that I've seen for the past three weeks, win or lose. Yeah, and so a couple of, couple of stats here that I want to hit on. So Notre Dame ranks 25th nationally in yards per attempt they've allowed eight passing touchdowns through seven games so the back end of their secondary would be pretty good however Michigan ran for 303 as I mentioned USC ran for 189 Louisville and New Mexico both rushed for over 200 yards now the team that really struggled to run the football was UVA. UVA only rushed for four total yards in the game. If you remember, they you know kept it pretty close there in the first half, and then uh, in the second half, it was just turnover city for uh, Bryce Perkins. He had five turnovers total in the game, and uh, they just made him really uncomfortable. So 
you know, I think if you're Virginia Tech, I'm sure you studied that game film and and watched to see, you know, what they did well uh, as far as keeping Bryce Perkins contained and try to use that to a to your advantage as you're uh, game planning for for Hendon Hooker. I think the difference is with Virginia Tech compared to UVA is, you know, with Hendon Hooker at quarterback, they actually can run the football. Absolutely. Um, and so they have proven that that they can do that. The the other thing that really stands out to me, Tim, and, you know, I really did not expect to be saying this uh, going into the season, but going into last week's game, so not last week, but going into the North Carolina game, okay, Virginia Tech ranked fifth nationally in disrupted pass rate. Wow. So what is disrupted pass rate? Disrupted pass rate is sacks plus pass breakups plus batted and or tipped balls divided by the number of dropbacks. So whatever you're doing to pressure the quarterback or disrupt him or you know get him off his game, Virginia Tech ranks fifth in the country or did before the bye week last season. This season, with Jermaine Waller and Caleb Farley in the secondary, opponents have just completed 24 or 62 passes. So that's a 38.7% completion rate. That would make Farley and Waller the best cornerback duo in the ACC through the first seven games. Yeah, and that's one of those stats that when you hear it, it checks out with what you're seeing visually when those two are on the field. Right. But what we're seeing is the defense is giving up yards. Sure. Okay. But that doesn't mean they're not doing a good job. We're not used to seeing Virginia Tech defenses give up a bunch of yards. But what we saw against Miami was a team trying to catch back up, a team that was run and gun. You know, we weren't necessarily going to be calling the same defense that you'd be calling if the game was three to three. So, you know, there's, there's, you know, reasons to believe in the defense. There's reasons to be hesitant. You know, a reason I'd give you to believe in the defense is the second half against that that North Carolina team last or two weeks ago. Oh, yeah. Herculean Outs- effort. Outside of one little trick play, that defense was locked down. And to be honest, I think Sam Howell might be a better quarterback than Ian Book at this point. Um, I'm not sure he's got the talent that uh, Ian Book has around him, but, you know, Things are trending in a nice direction for Virginia Tech, you know, for this season, maybe for for seasons to come. But, you know, there's a couple of things the Hokies need to really do in order to to beat Notre Dame. One, they need to contain Cole Komet. He's Ian Book's number one target. He's an NFL talent, you know, tight end. He's a big red zone threat. If If the Hokies can lock him down, Book becomes very pedestrian. The other thing they need to do is they need to keep Book in the pocket. He's not an elite runner, but he can make plays with his legs. He moves around a lot. He's good at extending plays. If they keep him inside the pocket, and we've talked about this with Virginia Tech before, they can get to the passer, but it's about collapsing that pocket around him. Right. Sometimes when somebody gets into that backfield, you know, the quarterback makes that guy miss, and then you know they're free to you know, run around behind the line of scrimmage or take off downfield. So if the Hokies can do a good job of containing him, you know, making him uncomfortable, you know, I think there's a very good chance that, you know, they force some turnovers and, and position that offense for a chance to win. So I think this will be a pretty competitive game. I'd be really surprised to see a blowout one way or the other. Um, 
you know, will I be shocked if Virginia Tech loses? No. Will I be shocked if Virginia Tech wins? No. Uh, but I do think it is a big game for Justin Fuente uh, and his staff for two reasons. One, you had a bye week to prepare. You're going into a, I'm not going to say hostile environment, but a pretty big game for your program, a game that's going to have a lot of eyes. It's 2.30 on NBC. You know, most of the top five teams in the country have a bye. Clemson's playing Wofford. You know, there's not going to be a whole lot on at at 2.30 in the afternoon or, you know, whenever this game. I think it is 2.30, right? So it's on national television, big for recruits. Go in there, shock the world, beat Notre Dame as a 17-point underdog. I think it can happen. I'm going to pick Virginia Tech to win. Um, wow. Just because I think uh, I just like the way they're they're moving right now, and and for me it's kind of a prove it game, right? So we've seen three wins in a row. You know, one of those was Rhode Island. One of those was a, a crazy six overtime game against, you know, uh, an average North Carolina team, and then one was against a very high level defense in Miami, uh, but a, but an offense that's not very good. So. Still a lot of questions around Virginia Tech. We still don't know how good they are, but we do know they're playing much better football. I'm going to go Virginia Tech in this one. I do, at the very least, think they cover the spread as a 17-point dog. Sure. I I hope we do. I mean, covering that spread will go a long way, at least for me from a mental aspect. Um, Unlike you, I can't pick Virginia Tech to win here. I just feel like the talent gap is is too large at the moment. Although, as you said, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if Virginia Tech wins this football game based on the trend and based on what we've seen since the uh, reshaping of that offense has occurred. Um, I I certainly hope we we see a Virginia Tech team come out there and fight. And I think we, you know, Fuente to this point has proven he can get a team ready to go. Um, especially in the face of some serious adversity after that Duke game. So, you know, I'm with you. I'm picking Notre Dame to win, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised either way. Um, Should make for a good game of football. As you mentioned, Notre Dame game, huge visibility. Uh, It's going to be on NBC, I imagine, um, as as they have the rights to the Notre Dame football games. Um, Yeah, it's big for recruits. It's a big game. One other thing. So in Notre Dame's two losses this year, they had 46 yards rushing against Georgia and 47 against Michigan. Stop the run. Stop Notre Dame. You stop Notre Dame. So that's, uh, I'm sure, a focus of, uh, of the Hokies going in, and I think part of that, too, is putting pressure on, on Ian Book to perform. So, you know, before Caleb Farley went out against North Carolina, he had four pass breakups in the first half, which was a career high before he left with a concussion. Right. So there's no reason to think that that uh, that he can't pick up where he left off heading into that game. So it's going to be a fun one to watch. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's let's move on to NC State at Wake Forest, Tim. So this game kicks off at noon Eastern on ESPN. We've got the Deeks as a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, redshirt freshman Devin Leary gets gets the nod. So it's his uh, first career start. He did throw three touchdowns against Boston College after coming in during the second quarter. All of those on fourth down, by the way. Uh, was 15-33 for 259. You know, Wake is top 25, but their defense is vulnerable. They rank 106th in the country against the pass. You know, had a bye week to prepare. Um, you know, I, I obviously I like 
I like uh, Wake Forest in this game. I think um, you know they're second in the conference at both points per game and yardage. You know Sage Surratt's having a first team All ACC caliber season. Scotty Washington's looked really good. They're also averaging almost 200 yards on the ground. There's no official word on if Jamie Newman's going to play, um, but you know I'd assume he's he's back in there for them. And um, you know, big thing for me to watch is one, you know, what does Devin Leary look like for NC State? This is the third quarterback they've tried out this season. And two, you know, can NC State get that D figured out back to kind of what we what we saw in the uh, early part of the season, not what we saw against um, uh, Boston College a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, I like to get contrarian with my picks sometimes, and this is one of those where I kind of feel like there's going to be a spark on NC State's side from an offensive standpoint. Um, Coming off the bye week for NC State, they've had some not-so-acceptable offensive numbers to this point in the season, making a big change at quarterback, obviously, with Devin Leary getting the start. I will say, when you have a team that's been as thoroughly embarrassed as NC State's defense was against Boston College, you, I, at least when I look at these games, I always like to lean towards the overachieving in the next game to prove a point. Um, NC State has, in my mind, a good coach in Dave Doran, and one that we haven't seen NC State get embarrassed too many times back-to-back um, in his NC State career, if you throw out his first season. Um, you know, for me, I'm looking at this game. NC State's got a good defense in there somewhere. I mean, they've got players. They're dealing with terrible injuries. But deep down, it's about pride with NC State in this game. That They're coming onto a, a field here with a rivalry opponent, uh, one with a bunch of in-state players. And there's something about those rivalry games that can really amp up the intensity and, and give you a different version of the team than you're used to seeing. Um, you know, With the ground game that NC State has, although they haven't done a good, call, a good job calling plays to make it effective, I think Devin Leary is going to give them enough of a passing threat to open up that run game. I don't think Wake Forest defense is, is, is that good, and I know the stats back that up. Um, but I expect NC State's defense to win the day in this one and, and keep the score on Wake Forest side low enough to get NC State a close win by three or seven points. See, I think Virginia Tech's chances to beat Notre Dame are way higher than NC State's to beat Wake. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I think both are, are, have pretty high chances to get the upset. Um, but for me, I'm, I'm with Vegas on this one. I think, I I don't think that Wake Forest is head and shoulders better than NC state in the talent department in the same way that Notre Dame is out talenting Virginia tech at this point. So that leads kind of into the the pick when I say, I think NC state's a little more likely maybe, um, but it's super close, but both teams are fairly likely, uh, to pull off these upsets. Neither would surprise me. Um, although I am going to pick NC state in this game, I actually think they're going to be Wake. Uh, Miami at FSU, three thirty ABC. Uh, wow, yeah, not uh, <laughs> not what the ACC had in mind when these two teams uh, became, you know, members of the ACC. But Hurricanes are two and three in conference. Seminoles are three and three. Both teams are four and four. FSU is a three point favorite. Both teams seem to be unsure of who they want to use at quarterback. So I think we saw a headline that Tate Martell is going to start working with quarterbacks again. That's right. Uh, So I'm not sure. I didn't read the story. I'm not sure what he was doing, you know, the rest of this season because we really haven't seen him at all. So was he just not working as a quarterback at all? So I would like to learn a little bit more about that. 
I don't know who's going to be the quarterback for Miami. I would think maybe Jaron Williams probably regained the job after leading uh, leading Miami to victory um, against Pitt, taking over for Nikosi Perry, who was ineffective. Alex Hornibrook got the start and uh, played really well uh, last last week um, in FSU's win over Syracuse. Uh, they also ran quite a bit of Wildcat with Cam Akers, so I would expect to see that. Miami also likes to run Wildcat with DJ Dallas, but he's banged up. I don't think he's going to be ready for this one. Um, I do think the Miami defense is better and will be on the field less than Florida State's defense. So for that reason, I'm going to pick Miami to get their second win in a row, go up to Tallahassee, beat Miami, and probably cement Willie Taggart's faith in his future as head coach at Florida State. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a solid pick. Again, another toss up. Uh, always a good game to watch. You know, the the two schools hate each other. That always makes these fun. Uh, both teams mired in the same quandary at the moment with I think underperforming head coaches. One has an excuse, the other doesn't. Um, you know, when you look at this game, I, I like the home team. Um, you know, Florida State. While you're going to say, "Wow, not a great team," they are four and one at home this year. Uh, Dope can be a fortress on its day. Um, and, you know, I, I like what I've seen from the offense the past couple of weeks. I think they've certainly been creative. They've been effective. Horny Brooks certainly has looked strong. Um, you know, Miami, on the other hand, can't seem to figure out what they want to do on offense. Um, they're really sputtering. I think both teams have serviceable defense. I think Florida State's defense has been made to look worse throughout the season because of their offensive scheming. For sure. Um, but, but I think Miami's offense is just flat out not good. Um, especially when DJ Dallas isn't there to be a spark out of the backfield. So for that very reason, I'm going to go offense, one offense over another, Seminoles over uh, Canes, um, and and it should be close either way. But I'm taking the Seminoles in a tight one. Yeah, I think it's going to be a pretty ugly game, actually. Um, probably both defenses winning more than either offense. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh you know, as they like to say, let's just throw out the record books. Not that they're anything to look at when these two teams play. <laughs> right. So let's uh, let's move on. Virginia at North Carolina, seven thirty ACC Network. Big game. Tar Heels a one and a half point favorite. Uh, both teams are three and two in conference. I'm not going to call it a loser go home, but it's pretty it's close. close. It's close, and I'd say more so for North Carolina because. If they do end up losing this game, they're three and three. They'd have losses to both UVA and Virginia Tech. They'd need a lot of help um, in order to to get that coastal victory. So UVA, however, can afford to lose one more time, uh, but would have to beat both Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech most likely to get in. So um, you know we'll see what happens. Both teams are obviously going to try to win. You know UVA has been struggling on the road. And Bryce Perkins as a passer has been bad. The offensive line has been bad. The run game doesn't exist unless it's short, short yardage situations. The defense is still solid, you know, obviously without Bryce Hall. But, you know, the UNC offense has been very good. And I think what we're going to see in this game is, you know, a strong offense in North Carolina go up against a strong UVA defense. And a sputtering UVA offense go up against a pretty, you know, banged up North Carolina secondary. And really the entire defense for North Carolina is is in pretty bad shape health-wise. So if anything, that should give Virginia an advantage. Uh, 
But at the same time, what we saw last week against Louisville was, you know, if I'm looking at it on paper, North Carolina's defense is a tad better than Louisville's. And Virginia has struggled to move the ball consistently against Louisville. So that's just kind of where their offense is at right now. I think the book is out on how to stop UVA offensively. It's contain Bryce Perkins, you know, beat that offensive line, make him uncomfortable. You know, he's he's not a dynamic passer. He can make plays with his legs if he needs to, but we highlighted it on, you know, Monday's show. He he has, he's averaging 2.3 yards per carry. And a lot of that is because of lost yardages on sacks. But I'm giving the edge to North Carolina in this one. One, I think they're playing better football. And they just look better from the eye test. And they're at home. And UVA has been bad on the road. So, you know, I think North Carolina beats UVA. I think they moved to 4-2 and two in conference. UVA is going to move to 3-3. Three and three. It's going to throw a little monkey wrench into it again. You know, that coastal machine's going to keep on going. But I don't know, Tim, what do you, what do you have here? Yeah, I have, uh, in, in short, I have UNC. I think, you know, UVA's offense does nothing to inspire confidence that they'll be able to win this game. You couple that with UVA's horrible uh, road performances this year, um, and, and you're looking at recipe for disaster as far as UVA goes. The air would almost be completely out of the balloon if they were to win this game, or if they were to lose this game, sorry. So, you know, this becomes a must win for them. They're in a situation where a defense who has taken its licks this year, who's missing, you know, a superstar, but has still looked good, is going up, up against a formidable offense. So you're going strength versus strength on one side, um, and then sort of weakness versus weakness on another. Uh, makes for interesting watching, makes for a close game, but there's just something about the UVA offense that you see, and it's, it's just missing whatever that it factor is. Um, there's no explosiveness. It's tired. It seems extremely predictable. Bryce Perkins seems to get more banged up each each game and less dynamic each game. Um, and they're heading into a game against a UNC team. Don't forget, this is a rivalry for these two teams. Um, the two, as laughable as it, as it is, public Ivies of the South are going up against one another um, in, in the battle of, of who can be the most stuck up and, and who's going to win this one. It's, it's going to be UNC. Uh, to me, I just nothing that UVA has done since, you know, about midseason has really done anything to inspire any sort of confidence. They'll have the ability to go into Keenan Stadium and push around the Tar Heels um, because the Tar Heels, for all of their losses, have really never looked outmatched in any game. No, no, they haven't, uh, even when you thought for sure they would be. Um, so, yeah, I think that says a lot to the the coaching job that's yeah. been there. And to be honest, to, uh, to be honest, what we've seen out of Bronco Mendenhall has not been super uh, super great over the last no. few weeks. So. He's looking a little funny in the light when you consider where this team probably should be, uh, given what is there. Um, you know, that offense would certainly be much better than it is, and, and at this point, it certainly has to fall on coaching. Um, you can't tell me that the talent that's on that offense with the quarterback that is proven to be fairly good, um, and, and they've turned Bryce Perkins into a shell of his former self, I think all that criticism should be laying at Broncos' feet. So let's jump over to Pitt at Georgia Tech. Not a whole lot to say at this one. This game's at 4 p.m. Pitt's only a 7.5-point favorite. Um, seems seems like a pretty favorable spread. Um, I don't know if this is a repeat of Georgia Tech-Miami. I'm going to go ahead and say probably not. Yeah, you probably know, not. 
Pitt coming off the loss to Miami, you know, they're still very much in the coastal race. You know, they have two losses in conference to UVA and Miami. They're definitely not out. I expect them to take care of business. Uh, you know, they've been having way too much defensive success, even in losses. You know, they gave up 208 yards last week against Miami and lost. So it's really on the uh, on the offense to, to come to life. The Georgia Tech defense really struggles against the run. You know, G, or, uh, Pitt isn't a great running football team, but should be able to do enough to open up that pass. I think Pitt wins this game pretty easily. Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that the spread is as tight as it is. Um, Pitt should have no problem with this game, especially when you consider what's on the line for Pitt and what isn't on the line for Georgia Tech. Um, you have to imagine that edge is going to be there for Pitt to come out and play well. Um, certainly, you know, it's at Bobby Dodd. Road games are what they are in the ACC. But again, this is a Georgia Tech team who's got two wins on the year um, and who certainly struggled in every game outside of the Miami uh, win that they had, which was huge for them. Um, but, you know, if you're Pitt, you, you got to hope that you see the Pitt Panthers of old come out there and have Kenny Pickett looking like uh, early season 2019 Kenny Pickett. Um, you know, he was certainly looking very good, and that playmaking has kind of dropped off a little bit. Um, and, and it would be very surprising to me if we're talking about a Pitt team that suffered, you know, a loss or even had a tight game in Atlanta. I expect Pitt to roll here by multiple touchdowns. Boston College at Syracuse. If we're talking weird spreads, this is the game. Noon ACC Network. Syracuse a three-point favorite. What? I, I'm taking what? Boston College <laughs> all day. Easy I mean, money? Syracuse is a bad football team oh yeah I mean wake up they suck this year I mean they're terrible defensively they can't stop anybody offensively they can't move the ball their offensive line is probably the worst in the FBS and I understand BC is struggling at quarterback but they've got AJ Dillon and David Bailey uh BC's been way better than Syracuse this year. They're going to get the win on the road. They're going to move to 5-4. and four. Syracuse is going to remain winless against Power 5 and the conference. Uh, yeah, I just I, I was blown away when I saw the spread. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of atmosphere they have in the Carrier Dome. You know, Syracuse, not at all a team we expected to see 3-5 and five at this point in the season. That's still kind of strange that that's where they're at. Um, but you know, what are we going to get from a crowd turnout from Syracuse at this point with as expectations as, as lofty as they were with such a good season last year? I think it'll say a lot about this football program and, and where they are from a fan base standpoint, if they do turn out a pretty good crowd, because it's tough sledding, uh, in Syracuse right now, uh, but Boston college, again, too many weapons out of the backfield, regardless of, of, you know, how Grossell is playing or how they look on offense, you know, whether or not Zay Flowers actually decides to get off the bus. Um, none of that matters when you're dealing with the two running backs that they have. And then you have Syracuse, on the other hand, that still can't figure out what they want to do through the through the air. The passing game that the offense is predicated on can't seem to move the ball. And when it does, it's, it's getting yards in between the 20s and not doing anything in the red zone. Um, crazy line. I'm honestly surprised that it's as tight as it is and that Syracuse is favored um you know you could have had Boston College in this game by seven plus points and I wouldn't have been necessarily surprised so obviously I'm taking Boston College in this I don't expect a very close game 
Although any time you do have quarterback issues like Boston College has, it does beg the question, um, will they be able to do it even though they're going to be wholly one-dimensional? My gut says yes, but I think that's got to be Vegas' only hang-up in this case. Uh, Clemson hosting Wofford. Clemson over under on the players. They dress around 115. (laughs) Probably need to win by 70 so they don't drop six more points in the uh, AP poll, which has become an absolute joke. Ridiculous. Clemson will roll in this one. Yeah. Terriers are in for a bad day. They're going to be no bark, no bite in this case. Um, you know, like you said, Clemson sent me a, a uniform in the mail. I think they wanted me to make the trip down to Death Valley and come dress. Um, but yeah, everybody's going to get to play. I think it'll be good for Dabo uh, to get some burn for some guys who haven't gotten burn all year. And uh, there should be no stress for them. Again, ridiculous that they drop in the rankings like they have. You I know what? You know what it is? It's just though? completely stupid. You know why that's happening, in my opinion? Why is because that? Because the AP poll is absolutely worthless. That is trash. So in order for them to be relevant, they need attention. A little drama. So right now there's no actual, you know, top twenty five college football ranking that means anything until when does it come out? Tuesday? Next yeah. week? Yeah. I think that's the first poll. That's the that's the playoff poll that the committee selects. Uh so I think we're gonna see Clemson uh, you know, in the playoff when that poll comes out. And if we don't, then you know that's a joke in and of itself, but the AP poll—it's—it's it's basically just clickbait right now because Clemson just continues to win games and they continue to fall. Like Clemson hasn't lost in almost two years. You yeah. know, it's like, what else do you want them to do? It's like, okay, they beat North Carolina by one. You know what? Oklahoma lost by seven to Kansas State last week. Yeah, they lost. Clemson won the game, and they're falling in the poll. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So it doesn't. It's it doesn't. just the, the AP poll, they, they kind of remind me of the, uh, of the baseball voters voting in the Hall of Fame and refuse to put anybody first ballot. You know, they're just morons, and yep. they deserve to have their vote stripped away, in my opinion. So, you know, whatever, AP, you know, they're going to have one final poll, and then uh, nobody's going to care because it and means then- nothing. Back to irrelevance. Um, but yeah, it just irks me seeing a four by Clemson's name. That's just completely uh, showing a lack of respect to them and, and their accomplishments to this point. And, you know, they've had a good season. So it, to me, it's just a bit ridiculous. I guess they expect Clemson to go out and steamroll everybody by 60 points as if anyone in the nation uh, is doing that. So, um, you know, it is what it is. It's frustrating. But yeah, uh, the Terriers are in for a bad day. Um, Clemson coming in and will wipe the floor with them, obviously. Um, but yeah, good timing for Dabo as he gets to heal up going into the home stretch. Yeah. So anything else before we close out this, uh, this episode? No, I think I wanted to touch on those power rankings or not power rankings, but the records of the ACC coaches that I sent you just wanted you to bookmark them. Oh yes. The reason I did that. I've got those right here. Not so that you could focus on who is at the top. I don't think we're very surprised by who's at the top of this list. Um, It kind of checks out. You have Dabo, Fuente, Narduzzi, and Doran rounding up the top four, which you would expect based on how they've all performed since the start of 2016. However, two names I wanted to highlight. Two names who are for some reason are held up as the 
<laughs> untouchable guys in coaching in the ACC. One of them, and the biggest offender on the list, is Coach Cutcliffe at Duke at 9-20, and 20, having yeah. had an NFL quarterback, a first-round NFL draft pick quarterback, starting for three of those years. Yeah, not good. And, I mean, Duke overall has been pretty solid. Yeah. So... Yeah, what's going on there? I don't know. If you're if you're telling me, so this is all happening. Obviously, Duke did not perform as well as they had prior to 2016 in the immediate seasons before that. However, that to me does not look like a guy whose coaching should go without criticism. At 9 and 20, NFL quarterback starting, and that's the best you can do in the ACC Coastal. I just wanted to highlight that because that looks weird to me. Um and you know, Fuente, a guy who's Got a lot of criticism, criticism deservedly so, uh, sitting at 17 and 11. So another guy, too, I just wanted to shout out, uh, Bronco Mendenhall, 11 and 18. Now, this is not surprising for those of us that had followed the program uh, closely, as you and I have. But 11 and 18, and they're running into a situation where this season could go off the rails from a standpoint of, hey, they may be 500 in the ACC again this year. At what point... Does this become a situation where UVA goes from first overall pick in the coastal preseason by the Riders to a situation where we're sitting in the offseason saying maybe Bronco isn't the guy for UVA? I don't know how far off we are from that if we see a 500 ACC record UVA football team going into next season. I think the seat's going to start to heat up a little bit. I don't because they've been so bad for so long. And the fact that, you know, they're above 500, they had a bowl win last year. Like, yeah, that's pretty good for UVA. I think the thing with UVA last season was, you know, they had wins against Richmond, Ohio, a really bad Louisville team, you know. And Liberty. Yeah, I mean, he's so, padding his stats. So Last year were, was all about padding stats. So that was four of their regular season wins. They also had wins against Miami, which was their biggest win of the season, uh, Duke and North Carolina. So they lost to Indiana, NC State, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, and then they beat South Carolina in the bowl game. So there was a lot of games last year, like, Four of their wins were against really bad teams, really bad teams. And, you know, I, I thought the hype they were getting last season and also coming into this year uh, was just a little bit maybe ahead of schedule. And yeah. I think what we're seeing is a team that is very one-dimensional on offense. And they're, as as I've been saying, I think I've probably said it in every episode of the season, they're a one-trick <laughs> pony on yeah. offense. And you know, it's I guess, Bryce Perkins or bust. That's the point I was alluding to, where where you hear this: are, are they ahead of schedule, or it, it, at this point, is there a schedule? I'm I'm not sure. I'm seeing huge strides being made by the Virginia football program. You know, I'm alluding to that record since 2016 for Mendenhall, but I'm also looking at the wins that they do have. If you take out that bowl win against South Carolina, which admittedly was a good win, but again. I think Debo Samuel was sitting. South Carolina also not a very good football program when they were playing them at the end of the year. Um, Broncos got a lot to prove at UVA, in my opinion. I think the thing with UVA is they're not winning games that they should be winning. Right, and that's my main point of criticism. UVA should have beaten Virginia Tech last season. Easily. 
and they found a way to lose it. You know, they should have beaten Georgia Tech last season. Found a way to lose it. You know, they, they probably should have beaten Louisville this year. Didn't come to play in the second half. No. Got three field goals against Miami. A pretty mediocre Miami team. You know, it's just things like that. It's just not good enough. So, well, see, and, and alluding to that, what especially is not good enough if you're a UVA fan, and I hope there's some UVA fans out there that agree with me, um, who haven't been completely drinking the Bronco Kool-Aid all offseason, is that you couple not those wins with, yeah, games that they should have won. But what you can't do is be favorited to win the ACC Coastal with the best quarterback in the ACC Coastal and have a historically bad ACC Coastal and come out and go 500. There's no excuse for that. No, and, you know, I... You know, I guess they could go 500 in conference. I don't think they will. Um, but, you know, I, I think we'll we'll have a better idea of what's going to happen with UVA going yeah. forward this year after this, after this, this weekend. This UNC is huge, man. This, this UNC game is huge for that UVA football program. And still, at the end of the day, like, they could, they could lose the next three games. And if they beat Virginia Tech, they look back on this oh my season gosh. as a success. Are you kidding? Absolutely. So the whole thing hinges on Virginia Tech. And make no mistake, this is a as good a year as any for UVA to get that win. And, and that's all it's going to take to buy Bronco another three years. Yeah, the, the way that I'll end this episode is the one thing I want to watch this, this week is will we see Quincy Patterson on the field in any way for Virginia Tech um, with Hendon Hooker running the offense. So will we see any kind of two quarterback sets? You know, we saw a situation to where, you know, we were using Dalton Keene out of the backfield. Um, you know, is Keyshawn King, is he going to be ready to go? Is there a chance that we see Quincy Patterson and Hendon Hooker in the same backfield? Maybe, maybe so. Because, I mean, Quincy's a guy who likes to run it up the middle. You know, maybe we see some wildcat situations. Um you know, maybe we see a few scenarios where uh, Quincy tries to throw the football as well. So that's uh, that's something I'm just watching out for. I think we're going to see probably 95% Hendon Hooker, um, but you know, is that 5% Quincy Patterson? Is that is you know something that the coaching staff thinks that they can they can win or catch Notre Dame off guard with? So yeah, we'll see. I, I certainly am a big proponent of sticking with one guy. I don't like cycling in quarterbacks. Um, you know, one because I don't think you're tricking anybody when you do it, and two. I don't like the idea of someone coming in cold off the bench and catching snaps out of shotgun. Um, maybe I'm old-fashioned in that nature. However, I will say if there's any doubt about Hendon's health and you don't want to get him banged up, then obviously if you're going to want to run some QB powers, um, some QB draws, it might make sense to have you know QP come in there and handle some of the rushing workload. Um, but we'll see. It'll be interesting. Um, you know that That's the one really exciting thing about the Hokies this year. And where we find ourselves is that our offense is kind of evolving as we go week to week. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if we add any new wrinkles and, and what we can do to make sure that quarterback run game stays effective. All right, so that's our show for today. Thanks for listening. Again, we are Chowder and Grits, the podcast for ACC and Hokies football. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify seem to be the favorites. Visit ChowderandGrits.com. You know, find us on Twitter. Follow us, find us on Facebook, at Chowder and Grits. Anywhere you type in Chowder and Grits, you will probably see our logo. Tim, why don't you tell these fine people what they can do for us? 
leave a review, share some content, make sure your friends know we exist and where to find us. Uh, that all goes you know, a long way for us. Keep interacting with us on Twitter. It's been a lot of fun on game days going back and forth with you guys. Uh, you know, just spread the word. Um, you know, be a member of the Grit Gang and do everything you can to make sure other people know. That's all we ask. And, and the fact that you guys keep tuning in week by week, you know, we see it and we appreciate it. Um, you know, so for Justin and I, I'm going to go ahead and close us out. Big game against Notre Dame this week. So as always, we will hope the Hokies come out and play like champions. Um, and after that, we just say go ACC and go Hokies. See you guys later.